This is the WMRA Daily for Thursday, February 22nd, 2024. I'm Chris Boros. A local chapter of the American and Canadian movement Mennonite Action rallied in Harrisonburg on Tuesday to call for a ceasefire in Gaza. WMRA's Randy Behage reports. About 175 people, representing several Mennonite congregations and their allies, gathered outside City Hall on Tuesday afternoon, bearing signs that read, Peace on Earth, Ceasefire, and Let Gaza Live. They delivered a letter to city leaders asking them to pass a resolution advocating for a ceasefire in Gaza. Reuters reported on January 31st that some 70 U.S. cities, including Chicago and Seattle, have passed resolutions related to the Israel-Hamas war. Emily Hirschberger is a local planner with Harrisonburg Mennonite Action. I come as a mother. I also come as a Mennonite Christian who follows Jesus. And Jesus was someone who blessed children, who healed sick people, who fed the hungry. Today what's happening in Gaza is very much a war on children. The Associated Press reports that Israel's attacks on Gaza have killed more than 29,000 Palestinians. Around two-thirds of the dead are women and children. This is not working. This is not making Israel safer. It's not making us safer in this community as anti-Semitism and Islamophobia and anti-Arab sentiment rise because of these tensions. We need our leaders to listen. We need our leaders to wake up to that reality. The bloodshed is only increasing. And we come as people of faith to say, no more, not in our name. Leaders of several humanitarian aid groups denounced the U.S. on Tuesday for vetoing a United Nations Security Council resolution calling for an immediate ceasefire. For WMRA News, I'm Randy B. Hagee. Three different tax proposals for Virginia's next two-year budget have been released by the House of Delegates, one by the Senate and another by Governor Glenn Youngkin. Reporting on how each budget could financially impact residents of the Commonwealth is Virginia Public Radio's Brad Kuttner. Governor Glenn Youngkin's tax plan includes changes to income tax rates, reducing the total budget by about $3.5 billion. But he'd get $1.8 billion of that back via a 0.9 increase to the sales tax and another $700 million from a sales tax on digital goods. Democrats in the legislature make no changes to the personal income tax, but both chambers keep some form of Youngkin's digital sales tax. In the House, that totals $550 million, while the Senate also adds a business-to-business digital tax, which brings total income to $1.3 billion. Rodrigo Soto is with the progressive-leaning Commonwealth Institute. His group has long warned Youngkin's income tax plan would hurt those who need the most help. His proposal would line the pockets of millionaires and on average raise taxes on low-income people. Stephen Hayner is with the right-leaning Thomas Jefferson Institute. He praised Junkin's efforts to cut taxes, but was struck by the expanded digital tax in the Senate. There, there's some very specific bullet points about the business-to-business taxes they're applying, and it's, it's pretty broad. <laughs> I, I think that some of the digital industries are going to wake up and say, whoa, we might not want to do this. With about 40 years of watching Virginia budgets get pieced together, Hanner imagines the House will accept the income streams from the Senate, including the business-to-business digital sales tax. So what does that mean for Virginians? Expect to pay more for Netflix, and if you're renting server space in the Commonwealth, that might cost more too. In Richmond, I'm Brad Kuttner. The General Assembly released documents on Tuesday detailing how members of both House of Delegates and Senate want to raise and spend money. The differences are sometimes part of a negotiation tactic, as Jad Khalil with Partner Station VPM News reports. 
Delegates wrote in their budget, Virginia has to rejoin the Regional Greenhouse Gas Initiative, a carbon market meant to reduce emissions. It's a key policy priority for Democrats, but the Senate didn't include it, despite the budget chair, Senator Louise Lucas, saying Virginia should stay in the climate initiative. Other differences are the House including the arena deal Governor Glenn Youngkin wants, and the Senate putting more money into education. These could all be bargaining chips. Bill Lighty used to work on Senate finance and for former Governor Mark Warner. They will get to the point where they start going back and forth and saying things like, I'll take your stadium deal if you take my educational components. Right now, negotiations are between the House and Senate, but there's Youngkin to account for. Former Governor George Allen says he shouldn't give away too much. The more you let them know you want this, the more they can say, well, if you want us to support this, you're going to have to support this, that, and the other. These negotiations all happen behind closed doors. That's Jad Khalil reporting. A grand jury handed down a new indictment in the case of 41-year-old James Robert Allen on Tuesday, adding a charge. Allen stands accused of abducting a student from the University of Virginia last year before she was able to escape his truck. Court documents from a 2008 Fauquier County case reveal the accusation to be at least the second incident in a pattern of violent behavior. WMRE's Randy B. Hagee spoke with me about the case. On the evening of October 4th last year, a man allegedly forced a female university student into his vehicle before crashing into multiple cars and trees on Cabell Avenue in Charlottesville. The student was able to fight her way out. The suspect fled on foot, starting a manhunt that mobilized the Charlottesville Police Department, Federal Bureau of Investigation, U.S. Marshals, Virginia State Police, and other agencies. James Robert Allen was arrested in Louisa County the following day on charges of abduction and strangulation. Law enforcement said the victim and Allen did not know each other. A grand jury has indicted Allen on a new charge of malicious wounding. That came down on Tuesday. Allen is scheduled to appear for arraignment on March 12th, and if he pleads not guilty, a trial date has been set for May 20th. The Daily Progress reported in October that the wrecked vehicle was Allen's work truck, and both his and the victim's personal belongings were found in and around the white Ford F-450. The report includes excerpts from an affidavit filed in the case, which describes the victim as being found with duct tape around her wrists. She told investigators she was attacked and choked while on a routine walk home and could not remember how she ended up in the truck. Now, after that October incident, you did some digging and found this not to be the first incident of this kind involving James Allen. What did you find? Right. So court documents, social media accounts, and property records begin to paint us a picture of Allen's life and criminal history. Allen has several convictions for breaking and entering and grand larceny in Fauquier County, with the earliest crimes having been committed in 2001. At that time, he was a recent graduate of Liberty High School in Bealton. But in a case with several chilling similarities to the crimes he is charged with in Charlottesville, Allen was convicted of attacking a woman in Fauquier County more than 15 years ago. On July 7, 2008, a woman stopped at the Warrington Health and Aquatic Center after getting off work. She went for a walk and was talking to a friend on the phone. A man ran up from behind and grabbed her, knocking the phone out of her hand. She said she was able to get a look at his face and clothes before he threw her to the ground, choking her and slamming her head down until she lost consciousness. When she came to, she saw Alan nearby and recognized him as her attacker. She got away and called 911. Police officers came and arrested Alan. He was charged then with abduction and malicious wounding. At the time, Alan lived in the town of Washington in Rappahannock County and worked for a highway and underbridge construction company based in Culpeper. Alan claimed at the scene and at trial that he had been driving by the aquatic center when he saw another man who matched his description attacked the woman, and he ran the other man off. 
The Commonwealth's evidence included photos of the victim's injuries, photos of injuries on Allen's arms, and audio from the 911 call. So what was the result of that case? Well, the jury was unable to reach a unanimous verdict, resulting in a mistrial. Prosecutors retried the case in February 2009. The judge dismissed the abduction charge in that second trial, saying, quote, there has to be something more in an abduction than simply being engaged in this combative situation and assaulting someone. You have to seize and detain, end quote. This jury then convicted Allen of a misdemeanor assault and battery, apparently believing that he had been the man who attacked this woman, but not to the threshold required by the malicious wounding statute. Strangulation wouldn't be codified as its own lesser felony for another four years. Allen was sentenced to a year in jail, the maximum for any misdemeanor, and one year of probation. Randy, are there any other incidents that you know of involving James Allen? Well, the prosecutors in the current and previous abduction cases declined to do interviews with WMRA. I had hoped to ask them whether the similar violent nature of the two crimes, committed 15 years apart, could suggest there had been other victims in the meantime. If there are, Allen has not been charged in connection with them. It's also possible victims never came forward. The most recent data from the Bureau of Justice Statistics National Crime Victimization Survey indicate that more than half of all violent crimes and three-quarters of sexual assaults specifically are not reported to the police. However, a WMRA review of missing persons and cold cases around the state did turn up one unsolved disappearance where the timeline puts a missing woman in proximity to Allen's stomping grounds. In November 2011, 22-year-old Longwood University student and Madison County resident Lauren Suzanne Smith was last seen on security camera footage at a Culpeper convenience store. The Madison Eagle reported that Smith had taken her cell phone and purse but no other possessions and was supposed to be dropped off at a home in Madison County where she worked for a cleaning service. Authorities later said they were not certain if she had made it to the home. One of her housemates reported her missing. According to one of his burglary convictions, Allen was living one county over in Bealton at this time. He would have been familiar with the Culpeper area. He had worked for a highway construction company based in town and told investigators in 2008 that he had attended some high school there. The Madison County Sheriff's Office has not responded to WMRA's request for an interview about Smith's case and whether Allen could be a person of interest. And we'll continue to follow this case as it returns to court next month. Randy, thanks for reporting on this. Thank you, Chris. Find links to more information at WMRA.org and on the WMRA app. The General Assembly may direct $100,000 toward the creation of an African-American heritage travel guide for Hampton Roads. From partner station WHRO, Ryan Murphy reports. Amelia Ross Hammond says Hampton Roads visitors can have a hard time finding some of the region's landmarks related to African-American history. They are scattered around. This will bring them into a collaborative one-stop shop. Ross Hammond founded the Virginia African-American Cultural Center in Virginia Beach. The center is working with local tourism bureaus like Visit Norfolk to assemble and publish a traveler's guide to African-American heritage in Hampton Roads. The $100,000 in the General Assembly budget will match what organizations and localities are contributing to the effort. Ross Hammond says that funding should allow them to get copies of the travel guide printed and out to the public this summer. That's Ryan Murphy reporting. Members of the General Assembly are moving new gun violence legislation to the governor's desk. Here's Michael Pope from Virginia Public Radio. Leaving a gun unattended in a car could cost you $500. That's the idea behind a bill passed by the Senate on a party line vote this week. Here's Senate Majority Leader Scott Sorabell. It has to do with the 
scourge, and I don't say that lightly because it is a scourge of guns being stolen in unattended vehicles. Thousands and thousands of these are being stolen per year in our state. Republican Senator John McGuire of Goochland County says people wouldn't have to stash their guns in their cars if it weren't for all the gun violence prevention measures. The only way to stop a bad person with a gun is a good person with a gun. And we keep infringing on these unconstitutional gun bills. And they're like, you can't have it in this building. You can't have it so many feet from this building. So if you're trying to protect yourself, you leave it in your car. You wouldn't need this bill if you would allow people to carry their gun. On the other side of the Capitol, in the House, delegates are sending a bunch of gun bills to the governor. The bills would limit where you can carry an assault-style rifle, ban ghost guns, and extend the waiting period for buying a firearm. Governor Glenn Youngkin says Virginia's gun laws are already tough enough, so he seems unlikely to sign any of those bills. Reporting from the Capitol in Richmond, I'm Michael Pope. Thousands of people who oppose abortion rights were on the state capitol on Wednesday. Michael Pope has more on their rally. The right to an abortion has been a flashpoint in Virginia politics ever since the United States Supreme Court eliminated constitutional protections. On Wednesday, thousands of people came to Richmond to call for abortion rights to be rolled back or repealed altogether. Women who terminate a fetus are not giving that person a right to exercise their rights. That's Gary Metzinger of Chester. If we can uh, kill unborn people on one end before they're even born, uh, we could start at the other end, euthanasia, and say, you're too old, we're going to terminate you, and you'll just squeeze it into the middle for the convenience of the healthy. Francis Moyer drove three hours from Winchester to be at the march. Millions of women are suffering from guilt and psychological problems because of abortion, and the others have hardened their hearts because we are destroying motherhood, the joys of motherhood, the responsibilities of motherhood, and of fatherhood. On the campaign trail, Democrats said they would stand in the way of any effort to roll back abortion rights, though a process to consider a state constitutional amendment ensuring that right won't begin until next year. Reporting from the Capitol in Richmond, I'm Michael Pope. This has been the WMRE Daily for February 22nd, 2024. Thanks for listening. I'm Chris Boros.